Welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner, and today I'm joined by Karen West-Wiley, the Chief Executive of Barking Enterprise Centre, a community interest company which provides vibrant business hubs for organisations around London, linking people, ideas and opportunities to stimulate business growth. Karen, welcome. Great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Yes, no problem at all. Now, one topical issue of the day that has really put leadership under the microscope lately is, of course, the coronavirus outbreak. And we have seen some contrasting approaches from political leaders to this. So we have Giuseppe Conte in Italy, for example, who's put the whole country on lockdown. We have Boris Johnson here in the UK, where we're taking a less hands-on approach, as it were. The money's there, the procedures are in place, but we are in many ways just waiting to see what happens with that. Taking this away from politics, Karen, which approach do you generally prefer when dealing with difficulties as a leader? Do you prefer to dive straight in and get on top of the situation or do you tend to just let things play out a bit and see how they develop before taking action? Well, I think personally for me, I, I, I think action is always um, always the best policy. People feel um, assured when, when, when people take action. Um, I try not to be reactive. I try to be proactive um, in making a decision to, to take actions on things. I think communication is really important. And just the coronavirus, just the, the mixed messages and communication about there's no panic, there is a panic. Um, I, I heard on the news this morning about there's no hand san- sanitizer in the House of Commons up until this morning. Um, and, I, and I just think we need to have, a, you know, the leaders need to be having a much more coordinated approach. Um, in, in the way that they're managing this. Absolutely. So you say taking that proactive approach um, as opposed to a reactive approach. So do you think that leading by example is one of the most important qualities of being a leader for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a really old cliche for me, but I think you should never ask anyone to do anything that you're not prepared to do yourself. And I think that being visible at times of crisis um, is, is absolutely um, crucial. So in my former career, um, I was one of the heads of adult social care in a London borough, um, responsible for um, the liaison between a, a big hospital trust and everybody at times of crisis around, you know, it was in the days of swine flu and bird flu and SARS, everybody went back to the floor and did real visible leadership. Just one aid to support staff that were really under pressure every every day in dealing with the issues, but also showing that we're proactive in our approach to managing this um, and not being in the sort of panic station mode, but just making sure that everybody was on point, knew what they were doing, why they were doing it, um, and what the ultimate goal was in kind of keep things under control and in assuring people that were very distressed Sure. Because I think as well that even at the international and government level, um, leaders can really draw inspiration from the actions of leaders who've been doing this at a community level, can't they? Absolutely. And I worked with a fabulous deputy chief executive of the hospital um, who she was a matron by sort of trade. And I I remember going in her office one day saying, oh, you you got your dressing up outfit on and she said, I'm putting my uniform on. I'm going back on the floor because I want people to realise kind of we are taking this really seriously. You know, I'm a nurse by by trade. I've worked my way through the ranks. I'm now Deputy Chief Executive of the Hospital Trust. But today I'm just a nurse on the ward and I want my team to see that. 
which I thought was a brilliant example. It is, yes. And it links back to uh, what we discussed um, just now about leading by example as well. It's such an important quality, absolutely. Um, Drawing from your own experience there, uh, Karen, do you have any advice yourself for leaders who are facing difficult situations? Um, I think, I think, I, I guess for me, it's the opportunity to examine your authenticity. Um, and that's a real big thing for me is that I have to, although every leadership course that you go on talks to you about strategic decision making um, and, you know, new ways of working and emotional intelligence and all of that, and, and I'm not saying that they're not important, but you absolutely need to lead from your heart um, because people resonate really well. You can be direct um you can be direct, you can be forthright, but you have to do that with empathy and you have to understand kind of what's going on for other people at the same time as well. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think leading um, sort of from your heart, as you say, is one of the more important qualities of being a leader, as well as also listening to those around you and just kind of knowing how to manage those individuals as well? Yeah, I, I, and I think that, I, I think we're seeing a, a, a real shift in leadership. Um, in that people, you know, it, it wasn't cool and trendy to be kind of empathetic to people and people could be quite dictatorial. And I've, I've worked for many leaders over many years who were one way at work and behave completely different outside of work. And, and for me, I, I, I don't see the difference. I, as, as a leader of people um, and a leader of teams um, and a leader of sort of business support in, 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 in the boroughs that we work with, I think absolutely doing this with sort of heart and so on, people getting to know the real you is absolutely crucial to make that successful. Absolutely, because being a leader is far more than being just one person leading um, anything, isn't it really? I mean, it's about teamwork, it's about collaboration. So being able to be a people person as a leader is really important as well, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. And confidence is great, overconfidence um, uh, there's, there's been many occasions where I've gone in and said we're going to be doing this new ish- initiative and um, my team will go well how are we going to do that yet and I go well I haven't quite worked that one out yet but I do it with confidence that we you know we are I've had a, we've had a brilliant idea we, we like to think that we're creative and innovative and all the things that good leaders need but we don't always have it worked out into a plan and I think when people see the human side um, of you they're very supportive in that um, and you then find that you align yourself to people where your skills may be not as good as theirs in some things. Absolutely. So with regards to where, like say, your skill set may um, sort of lack compared to other individuals in a team that you're leading, I mean, when you're looking at people who may be part of your teams in future, when you're looking at recruitment, that sort of thing, um, are you looking for individuals who have um, a skill set that can complement you and add something that maybe you feel you don't have? To be perfectly honest, it would depend on the role that we were recruiting Mm. for. Um, I like to think that I surround myself with like-minded people. Um, So risk takers is is, is a big bonus for me. Not, you know, silly risk takers, but decent risk takers. Um, People that are creative, people that are innovative, people that are people, people. Um, And that's not always the case. So uh, I've worked with some very, very clever kind of data scientists and all of that over the years who have got phenomenal skills um, but just can't relate to people. Um, so, yes, if it was if it was a senior post and we were looking for something that I don't see as a strength in me, then, yes, that would be the case. Um, but I think 
I I think every leader aligns themselves to people that they think I, I could get on with them outside of the working environment. Mm, absolutely. And um, in terms of maybe leadership figures throughout history who have maybe sort of inspired you, is there anybody, any name that really comes to mind, anybody who you draw inspiration from in your sort of leadership style? Um, well, Steve Jobs has always been, uh, you know, sadly he's no longer with us, but Steve Jobs I thought was always a brilliant leader and some really sort of profound quotes um, around kind of his leadership journey. I think we all looked at people like Richard Branson, um, you know, it took me 15 years, certainly with the businesses that I support who are predominantly startups and small SMEs trying to grow and get bigger. You know, I always uh, recount Richard Branson's famous quote of, um, it took me 15 years to be an overnight sensation, having failed twice. Um, I think they're, they're ones that really um, resonate with me. Um, I've worked with a fantastic, some fantastic le- female leaders as well, so... Um, my former boss, um, who's now retired, Anne Bristow, who was the Deputy Chief Executive of Barking and Dagenham Council, she was an absolutely phenomenal mentor for me, um, as was Dame Stella Manzi in the brief time that she was Chief Exec here at the Council in Barking and Dagenham. Um, and they were brilliant role models, um, perhaps not historical figures yet, but certainly one day on their way to being that. Um, and female-wise, I think, you know, um, Mary Seacole, uh, there has been some absolutely inspirational women. What better month to celebrate that in March? Um, I think every night this week I've got an International Women's Day event. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some, been some real, they're, they're just quieter about it, most females. <laughs> of course, um, but it's important that their achievements are uh, celebrated as well. I'm absolutely right. Um, I'm conscious, Karen, that we are running out of time, but before I do um, leave you, of course, um, do give me an idea of what you imagine the next year will hold for Barking Enterprise Centre and what you hope to achieve in that time as well. Uh, so um, currently we're homed in, in our host borough of Barking and Dagenham to 130 businesses and we're soon to go to 220. So we're in the middle of building our first um, uh, bespoke creative workspace um, in a new development, a new housing development. So um, it's called 360 because it's round. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we've really enjoyed working with um, brilliant architects called Assemble and Create London, who are a really amazing arts organisation who work across London. Um, so we're really waiting with it, sort of bated breath to see how that will all turn out. Um, arts and culture is quite big here now, um, across lots of East London boroughs, I think, because this, this um, London is moving east because of the rising prices mm. in places like Shoreditch and central London. So uh, it, it's really nice to see new industries. Our history of manufacturing is definitely on the decline. Um, I, I can't wait to see what the film studios that are being built in Dagenham will bring in terms of opportunities for local people, jobs, skills, all of the things that kind of London boroughs are desperately in need of. Absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the uh, the programme, Karen, I have to say, and um, it'd be fantastic to uh, get you back on um, in a few months' time just to see how things have uh, panned out. But do please um, accept um, our best wishes um, for uh, that work, and uh, we really hope that that uh, goes really, really well. And thank you. Thank you very much. No problem whatsoever. Um, it's now time for our exclusive interview with uh, Sir Jeff Hurst, and he is speaking to Jonathan White. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. 
Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is 
at the top is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh... A, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against 
Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had the, the impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, 
Jeff, go on, go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing it at a dinner in, in the Channel Islands, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but... There's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence, these unbelievable results. There are, you know, 
and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that, that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. And there was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players, it... we have some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is showed... the, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. 
And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. It, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.